This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Second Peter chapter 2. As your pastor, as we come to the end of another year, my burden is to help prepare us for ending the year and starting a new one. I honestly thought that 2020 would be the year that the Lord came back, and we're not done with 2020 yet. He could still return. Uh, his return is going to be soon. It may be next year. But it is important that with everything taking place in our world, the signs of the times, that we continue to allow the things that we see to influence our hearts for us to see the Lord. A trump could sound at any moment, and we're going to stand before Jesus. And so, on a regular basis, in fact daily, we ought to be taking inventory. Where are we before the Lord? What is our relationship before the Lord? Does it please Him? Is it right? Or are we believing lies? Are we excusing things in our own thoughts that cause us not to be right with Him and to please Him? And so as we conclude this year and this last Lord's Day, I want to just ask us a couple questions and, and encourage you just to be honest before the Lord this morning. As you look back on 2020, what spiritual change has taken place in your life? What spiritual change has taken place in your life? Realize that we have either become more Christ-like or we've become more world-like. There's no in-between. Christ-like, or we allow the world to influence us, and we've become more world-like. And the term that we often use that in that regard is we've become more world become more like the world, and they don't even realize it's happening. Now the good news this morning is, that he that hath begun the good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. As you and I become more Christ-like, change is happening, and sometimes that change we don't sense either. God is doing his work, he's refining us, he's changing us, and, uh, and yet it is true that the closer we get to the Lord, the closer we get to the light, the more he reveals about us, and the more change that we see need, needs to happen. And so, uh, like the Apostle Paul, none of us feel like we've attained. Even if we're growing, we can be encouraged, but we know that, that the contrast between who Christ is and what we are, there's, there's more change that is needed. But this year, 2020, what change has taken place in your life? For good? Or for bad? Please answer that question. Now we're living at a time 
that mirrors previous times on this earth. And I want, I want to draw some parallels through the scripture this morning that should compel us and convict us to take a good hard look and to ask God for change. In fact, to take the necessary steps to be willing to change. The events that we're going to look at are described for us in 2 Peter chapter 2. And I'd like you to look at verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And, all right, so we know God has judged angels. He, he cast Lucifer out of heaven. There are demons in hell now who are chained by God. We'll talk about the fact they'll be released later. Uh, but God's already judged them. And, and we know this next event already took place too. And spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Okay, so we know that happened, right? A universal flood. God did what he said. He brought judgment. And now notice a third illustration Factual event. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. But let's read on. So certain judgment, but notice the deliverance too. And deliver just lot, vexed, with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. But here's a wonderful conclusion. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Amen. <laughs> and reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. So the way you lived in 2020, the way I have lived in 2020, is really confronted by what this text is teaching. And what I believe the Lord would have us see today is that God doesn't change. We need to change, but God doesn't change. He will judge sin. He's already proved it. But he is also able to deliver the righteous, and he'll do that. But let's see how this truth now should impact our lives. Let's go back to that first point, that judgment is certain. And we can see that from a historical perspective. Judgment is certain, and we see this from a historical perspective. Again in verse 4, we see that God has already judged rebellious angels. What does it say? For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. All right. So what has God done? Well, we know that Satan led a revolt millennia ago. 
We don't know for sure how long ago that was, but in heaven. He was not content to be the chief cherub, to lead the worship in the throne room. That was not good enough. He wanted to be God. Now, as a created being, what foolishness. But you know what? Rebellion blinds us. And so he was cast out of heaven. Uh, before that happened, he deceived a third of the angels. They were cast out too. And then some of those angels, those fallen angels, when they got to this earth, were not exactly sure. We can go to the scripture and there are some things that we believe may have happened where they left their first, uh, the area where God had, had placed them. Uh, they rebelled, and so swift judgment, they were chained. And Jude will tell us, and we'll see this in a, in a short while, Jude will tell us that, that they're going to be released again, uh, probably, I believe personally, uh, to be part of the judgment that happens on earth during the Great Tribulation. But right now, they're reserved in chains of judgment. And we realize that angels are more powerful, have more ability than mankind. God has made us a little lower than the angels, Hebrews tells us. And yet if God was willing to judge angels, how much more is God willing to judge us? And by the way, he's able to judge angels. Satan is no match, no match for our Lord. Which reminds us again, we're not the only creatures in the universe. Uh, not the only eternal creatures in the universe. There, there's that whole dimension. The angelic host. Those who have remained loyal to the Lord. Those who are disloyal to the Lord. And he has judged those and will judge those that are disloyal. If they can't escape, we're fools if we think we can escape. God is all-powerful, and he's already judged rebellious angels. Now, secondly, God has already judged universal rebellion. 2 Peter 2 and verse 5, And spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. It's sobering to think, isn't it, that we're really, everything since the flood, we're the reset. We're the descendants, not only of Adam, but of Noah and his three sons. And what those who, who claim the science is evolution, and that's, that's nonsense, but those that claim that will look at the fossil record and other things and say, see, that's evolution. No, that's a universal flood and universal judgment by God upon the old world. We're living in the new world. Both were broken by sin. But think about the fact that we have all this evidence that God destroyed the world because of man's sin. 
Now, God uses that illustration and that event to help prepare us. He wants to use that to prepare us for what is yet to come. Hold your place here in 2 Peter 2, and would you move over with me to Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, we see that, that what happened back with the universal deluge is to impact our lives now. Matthew 24, notice please verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, giving in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So God judged sin. He did it globally. Water covered the highest mountain. I just read that this week uh, in my devotions. I'm getting a jump start on 2021 in my Bible reading. Uh, but, but read that again. What God did destroyed all life except for life on the ark. So God has already judged universal rebellion, and he's going to do it again. So he, rebe he judged rebellious angels. He judged uh, a universe with a universal uh, judgment upon the rebellion that was mankind. And then third, God has already judged specific sin. Specific sin. God hates all sin, but some sins are more offensive to him. And verse 6 of 2 Peter 2 reminds us about a community that practiced that sin. Notice what it says in verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them with an overthrow. Now let's just pause for a moment and consider what that's talking about. Have you ever seen the destruction of nature? A tornado, a hurricane. We've seen pictures of it. Maybe some of you have lived it. Have you ever witnessed the absolute destruction of fire? Do you know what this text is talking about? That because of sin, God took two whole cities... And he reduced them to ash. Nothing left. Nothing left. Making them an example unto those that should live ungodly. If you're choosing to live a life that is anti-God, God wants you to sit up and take notice. This is what he not only is able to do, this is what he's going to do to sin. Now, I mentioned Jude earlier, but we want we to just take a look at this text now. Jude places the judgment of angels and the judgment of Sodom together. So he takes what Peter does, what the Holy Spirit has Peter write, and he places them together again, really repeating for emphasis what God wants us to see this morning. Jude 1 and verse 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate or their domain, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. 
And the great day is speaking of the day of the Lord. That great and terrible day of the Lord where, where the one who came at Christmas to be Savior now returns to earth as judge. Verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. What's that talking about? Homosexuality. Are sent forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of what? Eternal fire. So what Jude is helping us to see is that God used physical fire to reduce cities to ash. But the same God that did that is in the future going to take the sin of mankind and just as he's already proven he can judge sin, he's going to do it but with eternal fire. So God has already judged specific sin. You say, well, I'm not given over to the sin that most define Sodom and Gomorrah. But wait a minute. That in Scripture is not the only thing that Sodom and Gomorrah were guilty of. And this is part of the worldliness, the influence of the world, that I want us to also see. If you uh, turn over to Ezekiel 16... The scripture goes into more detail about the sins of Sodom. Ezekiel 16, look at verse 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. And by the way, Ezekiel, of course, is speaking to Israel. And saying, your sister, in other words, you are like her. What sins are listed there? Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Heard one preacher preaching on Ezekiel 16 and, and these verses, and here's what he said. You know what, that, that sounds like not only like America, but that sounds like a good vacation. And oh, by the way, like Europe. We, we like our vacations, we like idleness, we like fullness of bread. Those were all the things that, that Sodom was consumed with, and, and with that, with the idleness, comes sexual perversion and immorality. Those were the sins as well. And every thinking American says, well, as I watch the media, as I watch social media, as I look at how Americans entertain themselves, that describes who we are. And sadly, some of the church too. So when we think about the fact that God judges specific sin, we look at Sodom and Gomorrah and not only the sexual perversion, but also these other sins. And those other sins simply describe ungodliness or a life that has pushed God out. They don't want to retain God in their thinking. So judgment is certain. And we look at, can look back at history. And we see what God has already done. And God 
not only dealt with sin because of his holy character, but he also has given us the scriptural record that says, all right, I've done it before, and I've done it before to prepare you for what I'm going to do again. And that brings us to the second part of this passage. Not only is judgment certain from a historical perspective, but deliverance is certain. And this is the believer's perspective. Deliverance is certain. Now this, this ought to bring us comfort. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be delivered. You will be delivered. We're going to see this in a moment from the text. If you have admitted to God that you're a sinner, exercise faith in, in Jesus Christ, admitting you're a sinner, receiving Christ as Savior, you've already been delivered from sin. There is not any other judgment that you're going to face. Jesus took that judgment on himself at the cross. So you and I are forgiven. And yet, that forgiveness ought to be reflected now in a life that lives purely and in a holy way in gratitude to God. But we can be influenced by the world, even though we've been delivered from sin and judgment. And we can still face chastening here for our sin. And so Peter goes on to give us the example of Lot. And what does this, this passage teach us? Well, here's what it teaches us. Righteousness through faith is the only way of escape. Again, righteousness through faith is the only way of escape. Now there are those, and Paul talks about those, that go and try to create their own righteousness. I'm righteous because I do. And what the scripture teaches is, no, I'm righteous because of what Christ did if I put my faith in him. If I'm still depending on me, I'm still in unrighteousness. I'm still in my sin. I'm still lost. I'm condemned already. I'll face judgment. But I get encouraged by this fellow named Lot. Notice verse 7, 2 Peter chapter 2. And delivered, not just Lot, he delivered just Lot. Righteous Lot is the idea. Okay? He delivered not Lot not because Lot was such a great guy. He delivered him because he was righteous. Why? He had believed on God. And yet, though he delivered just Lot, notice this, he was a man vexed with the filthy conversation or lifestyle of the wicked. Now remember that Lot's faith was like Abraham's. And the scripture tells us a couple different places that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him, God counted it to him as righteousness. So again, it's God bestowing righteousness, it's not man himself being righteous. It's the way God considered a man who is willing to believe on God. And that's consistent all the way through the scriptures. So, he was like Abraham. 
he believed the Lord. Uh, we're not sure who believed first. It was probably Abraham and Lot. Abraham's nephew was influenced by the godly example of his uncle. And he believed the Lord too. Now, we give Lot a hard time because he was in Sodom. And rightfully so. He had no business being in that city. But let's remember that when the angels said to get out, he did get out. We don't see great faith. He had to be encouraged, and they had to take them by the arms and lead them out. But the point is, he still got out. In fact, we see his faith also in the fact that when the message was delivered by the angels that God's going to destroy Sodom, what did Lot do? Well, Lot became a missionary. He went to his sons-in-law. And he told them, here's what God's going to do. We need to get out of the city. Unfortunately, Lot had spent too much time at that point in Sodom. His wife's not really willing to leave. His daughters have to be let out there. They're not really wanting to leave. And then, from the text, we also realize Lot had other daughters, they had husbands, and they were unwilling to get out. In fact, when Lot tries to encourage them, we got to get out of the city, they thought he was joking. Imagine trying to be a witness to somebody, warn them about coming judgment, and they think you're kidding. Now, you and I would recognize that means there's a problem with Lot's testimony at this point. But he exercised faith. He went and warned, and then he did get out of the city. And by the way, he got out of the city just in time. But why was he delivered? Because he was a great, righteous man? No, he had God's righteousness imputed to him. And he was willing to still believe God. Again, the record of Scripture is sure. Spoken by angels and prophets. How can anyone escape who doesn't have Christ's righteousness by faith? The world mocks the rapture. Christians doubt the rapture. But it's going to come. In fact, the scripture tells us that the judge of all the earth, he's at the door. He is ready to come through and take us out. Hebrews 2.2 says, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, in other words, unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Question is, do you know Christ as Savior today? Have you believed God and had his righteousness imputed to you? The reality is righteousness through faith is the only way to escape.
there are going to be some sobering realities to the rapture. One of those realities is who's taken up. You're going to have people who are like Lot. They're righteous because they've believed on Christ, and yet their lives are constantly vexed by unrighteousness, and they're being influenced by the world. And so there will be some surprises that way. But there will also be the reality that when the rapture happens, there are going to be those who are going to look around heaven and they're not going to be there. Oh, they claim that they have been saved. But there's never been any change. And they want people to be convinced here, but they're not convinced in their own hearts and certainly God knows they're not His children. Lot had daughters who were not believers. His daughters had families, not believers. And as we come to the end of another year, we really have to examine our own hearts. What change has there been in our lives in 2020? With everything that's happened, the uncertainty and the illness and, and uh, just the disappointments, many know others who have passed into eternity. Has any of that brought about any change in your life? Or has there been change but you just continue to be more and more like the world? And so this text is, is for us to be able to see that there's only one way of escape. You have to have Jesus' righteousness or you're never going to get to his heaven. If you don't know Christ as Savior, now's the time to be saved. You say, I, I have seen things in 2020 I never thought I'd witness in my lifetime. Well, we're, we're looking at things from Scripture that have happened that are far greater than anything that we've seen and, and been influenced by, affected by in 2020. And the same God oversaw those events and He's going to judge sin. And He's going to deliver those who have believed on Him. But where do you stand in your relationship with that God? Young person, young adult, older person, grandparent. Is change continuing? Old things, if you're saved, old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. And that sanctification process continues all through our lives. If you feel like you've plateaued, something's wrong. Because the Lord is working to make you into His image. He's preparing you to stand before Him and to be ready. Are you going to stand before Him because you're saved? With all the tragedy that we've seen this year, from a human perspective, and I, I just shared with you, I was at a funeral a couple days ago. Humanly a tragedy. And yet what gives all the saints comfort is we are at an event like that is the fact that God knows what He's doing. And even, 
a tragedy on a slippery highway in northern Pennsylvania. Claims the life of a dad who, you know, we look at those children, we say, they need their dad. That young wife needs her husband. Lord, what are you doing? Well, I can tell you what he's doing. Through the eyes of faith, he is making us into his image. By the way, that young husband was a godly man. Beyond his years, godly. And anybody that knew Matt would say he was ready to be offered. He was ready to stand before Jesus and hear well done. But there are others who knew him and are facing difficult circumstances where the Lord is making us into his image. And that is far more important than what happens here now. We're going to need escape. The only way to escape is to know Christ. Now that brings us to the end of the text. And this is for believers. Willing exposure to temptation will impact your life now and will impact your escape later. Escape is sure. Jesus is coming back. He knows those who are his own and his sheep are going with him. But willing exposure to temptation, we all face temptation, but when we willingly expose ourselves to it, will impact our life now negatively and our escape later. So look at 2 Peter 2 and verse 8. For that righteous man, again, Lot, dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. All right, what is that teaching us? Well, first of all, it characterizes the age. In this text, you see these three words that define the age. Ungodly, verse 6, filthy, verse 7, and unlawful deeds, verse 8. That was the society in Lot's day, and we'd have to say that's the society that we live in now. So let's look at these characteristics. First of all, ungodly, verse 6, speaks of irreverence towards that which is sacred. Taking what is sacred, what reflects on God, and dragging it into the dirt. Taking it down. Treating it as though it's not important, not sacred. Romans 1 speaks of those who don't like to retain God in their knowledge. Now, does that, does that define Sodom? Well, certainly it does. Remember that the people of Sodom had already experienced God's deliverance once before. Remember? Now, we don't tend to think of this, but when Lot and the cities, Sodom and Gomorrah and those other cities, when they were captured by Chedorlaomer and that, that confederacy of kings, you'll remember that Abraham hears of it, and he gets his servant army together, and they go and they defeat those kings. They deliver those cities. They deliver Lot and his family. It was a miracle. No doubt Abraham and his servants vastly outnumbered. The only way you could explain that victory is that God did it. 
And after God did it, what did they do? They all went back to their cities and they kept living just like they always had in Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because they were ungodly. They had seen God's deliverance, but this didn't change anyone's thinking. And by the way, it didn't even change Lot's thinking. He's right back inside him. So ungodly. Nothing is sacred in America today. <laughs> they can take the purest things and make them unrighteous. Notice verse 7, <clears throat> filthy. This is an absence of moral restraint, especially when it comes to sexual morality. An absence of restraint. That was Sodom. That is our country today. The wise man Solomon in Proverbs 4.24 said this, Put away from me a froward mouth, okay, and, or from the, a froward mouth and preserve uh, perverse lips put far from thee. In other words, he's saying, if you're wise, those who have a froward mouth, those who, again, are filthy in what they say, those who are perverse in what they say, right, twisting things, making good evil, evil good, put them out of range of me if I'm a wise man. The wise man doesn't want filthy people to even be in range so that he can hear what they say, let alone see what they do. Ephesians 5.3, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So I go back to the question that I started the message with. What change has taken place in your life? Have you become more like Christ, which means you are less like the world, or have you become more like the world, which means you're less like Christ? When it comes to what the world does, are you drawn to that? Do you embrace that? Or do you try to remove yourself from it? You can be a Christian. You can be close to it. It can constantly vex your life, but you become accustomed to it. Ungodly, filthy, and then unlawful deeds, verse 8, is the perversion of homosexuality. All right, those things that God specifically forbids. Now, everything that Peter describes in these verses, verses 6 to 8, describes our society. Does it not describe our entertainment? The problem is that Christians are willingly exposing themselves to this like Lot did. You say, well, I wouldn't live in a place like Sodom. No, you just keep flipping through it with your remote on your TV. If we got in your car and turned your radio on, where is that radio dial? What are they singing about? What are they talking about? Is that Christ honoring or is that of the world? Filthy, ungodly, unlawful. And Christians, people that claim to know Christ are just dismissive of these things. You can't be Christ-like and dismiss what he's against. 
So if we boiled it all down and we looked at Lot's life, he was controlled by what was going on inside him. He couldn't break away. I'm not saying he was doing it, but he couldn't break away from it. He controlled him. But at the same time, he was convicted by it. Righteous Lot. Vexed in his soul. He's convicted by it. He knew that it grieved God. He knew that as someone who knew God, he shouldn't be around that. But he wouldn't leave. Initially, Lot was accepted by the community in Sodom. He had a place of authority in the gate. However, when he did exercise more faith and stand for what was right, he became a public enemy. So when the men of the city, after the angels come into Sodom to deliver him, they come to his house. When they go to deliver him and, 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 and the men come uh, seeking uh, to fulfill their perverted desires, when he's unwilling to go along, by the way, the... What his alternative was, again, just shows you how he was influenced by society, offering up his daughters, how, how wicked and awful. But when he's unwilling to give in to the passions of the men of the city, what happens? Now he becomes the enemy and they're after him. Remember that we're talking about the fact that deliverance is certain for the righteous. Did God deliver Lot and his family? Yes, he did. By the way, did God deliver Noah and his family? He certainly did. Both were divine deliverances that can only be explained that God did it. And so we rejoice in what 2 Peter 2.9 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Now this could have happened much earlier in Lot's life. Abraham is thinking clearly he won't go anywhere near Sodom and Gomorrah. And the area that he chose was not the well-watered plain. He's up in the mountain region, uh, the, that central mountain spine in Israel. Uh, you can graze sheep up there, but it certainly isn't the choice land of that fertile valley, that river valley. And yet Abraham is going to steer clear of, of that wickedness. And what happens with Abraham? He is given a blessing. God confirms blessing on Abraham. Lot moves down into the valley, and he's going to have to be delivered before uh, destruction comes. So God is able to deliver. He's able to deliver from temptation. You didn't have to yield to temptation this year. You could have been delivered if you would listen to what God has said and just stay clear. And that ought to be your purpose in 2021. The world has nothing to offer. It may look green. It may be pleasing to the eyes. And yet it's destructive. Yes, God can deliver you and will deliver you as a Christian, but you'll face chastening. You'll face hurt here if you give in to what the world says is going to satisfy and please. 
The destructive impact of Lot's family cannot be overstated. And by the way, it happened with Noah's family too. One of his grandsons ends up being cursed because of the choice of one of Noah's sons. And in both situations, what had happened, they had been influenced by the age. It's true that in our Christian homes, we have children, we have adult children that are being influenced by the age. I would dare say that in many of our homes, there are children who know more about the celebrities of this world than they do the characters in the Bible. They have more of a working understanding of how the world works than how sanctification works and how to apply God's truth to their lives to be more like Christ. Some of you listening, you know that that's true. That may even be true of you. Now, the good news is that no matter what choices your children make as parents, we can go on growing and becoming more like Christ and our light not be dimmed before our children regardless of the choices that they make. But the Lord's coming back soon. He's about to provide the escape for His own children before He judges this world. And he will judge it like he did in Noah's day, like he did with Sodom. But he, as he gets ready to provide that escape, the only way that we're going to have a glorious escape and stand before the Lord and hear well done is if we are allowing the Holy Spirit of Christ to change us from within. Now, what a wonderful text to remind us that God is able to deliver, and he will. But the rest of the verse also says this, The Lord knoweth how to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And we don't have to look at that and think that there's any theory in that. You all know that a year ago we visited the Holy Land with uh, a group from our church traveling together. What a wonderful time we had. But one of the most sobering parts of going to Israel today is seeing the Dead Sea. And what the Dead Sea is, is really the biggest bomb crater on planet Earth. When God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, that was a gaping hole. Say, well, how did the sea get there? Well, the Jordan filled it with water after God got done with it. What's at the bottom of that gaping hole? Well, it's not really even at the bottom. It's not it's non-existent. That is the place where Sodom and Gomorrah were. And so you can, you can get on Google Maps. You, you can look at the Dead Sea. You can look at that place and just remind yourself that is a gaping hole. It's a bomb crater. Why? Because God judges sin. But as you look at that, also remember, God delivered a family out of there. Now, it ended up just being a dad and his daughters because mom looked back. 
She had such a heart for the world after being told, don't look back. She looked back and was turned to a pillar of salt. And she was just part of the destruction that happened there. But in the midst of that, God delivered. We can look at the fossil record. We can look at what happened with Noah's flood and know that we're here today as proof of what? God delivers. God provides escape. But Jesus is coming back soon. Once again, he's going to provide escape. Are you ready to be raptured to escape? Or are you going to be left behind? And this text reminds us as we look to another year, we may not even get there. But it reminds us that the only way you're going to have escape is if you have Christ's righteousness and that comes by faith in Him. And then Christian listening today, and I, I have my family listening today, my children listening today. As believers, we are influencing what that escape is going to be like. We're going to get out. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3 reminds us that there will be saints that will be saved so as by fire. They're going to get out and they're going to have the smell of smoke on their clothes. It was a close call. That's exactly what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. And oh, by the way, Sodom and Corinth were twins. And yet, don't you rejoice in the fact that right there in the city of Corinth, Paul lists all those sins, and those who do these sins will not inherit eternal life. And then he says this, and such were some of you. They escaped. So may God help us as we look to a new year to realize we have to have Christ's righteousness. But as he lives in us, instead of becoming more and more like the world, we can become more and more like Christ. And as we come, become more and more like Christ, that's where the blessing is. And that's where the preparation is. To be able to stand before the Lord, see a smile, and hear, well done. And He is working and He is able to make that happen in you and in me. Let's let Him have His way. Father, thank You this morning for this text. Thank You for the example of Lot, Lord, what we can learn from him, the encouragement and also the warning. Thank you for the example of Noah. And Lord, would you help us to be ready for your return? You give us these things as examples. Help us to listen and to follow. Holy Spirit, change us into the image of, your, of, of, of the Savior. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let me just admonish those who are listening who don't know Christ as Savior. You may be religious, you may be moral, but if you're depending on your righteousness, you will not escape. You have to have Christ's righteousness, and that comes through repentance. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner, admitting to God we're sinners, and receiving Christ, which means when He comes and He lives in us, and when He saves us, we get His righteousness along with the gift of eternal life.
Would you believe on him today, right now? Just admit to him you're a sinner. Pray to him. Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve judgment. And then invite Jesus Christ to come into your life to save you. Would you do that right now? And if you've believed on him today, get on our website and send us an email. Uh, let us know that you've put your trust in Christ. We've got some gospel literature that we want to send to you. If you have any questions, you can see our number there. And please call in. We, we want to be a help to you. And Christian, if God has spoken to your heart, look, you know what change, for good or bad, has happened in your life in 2020. And if it's not been for good, if it's not been for Christ... Would you get honest with God today? Would you confess that to the Lord today? Yield to Him. So you can have what, what the apostles described as a glorious resurrection. We're all getting resurrected, but a glorious resurrect, resurrection. Being able to see Jesus in here is well done. Father, thank you for the time together. Lord, change us. Help Good News Baptist Church to be ready for the escape the great escape. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757 488 we encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.